Good morning again. Turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Acts. Sermon text this morning will be Acts chapter 3. I know uh, we've been going very slowly through Acts 1 and 2. You'll be happy to know. Acts chapter 3, all at once. Uh, Speed up a little bit. Before we read Acts chapter 3, let's pray together. Our Father, we, uh, we do come before you because we need uh, hope, because we are in a world that is full of trouble and despair, and we pray, Father, that you would speak that into us, into our hearts and minds this morning, uh, that you would take your word and that you would apply it to us and enable us to believe it and understand it and uh, be changed by it uh, in the power of your Holy Spirit. Father, we pray that you would work now we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Acts chapter 3. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk, and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and recognizing him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this, or why do you stare at us, as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. 
And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Where are you troubled? Where are you uh, suffering? Where are you suffering long and hard? Where are you suffering repeatedly and relentlessly? Where are you ready to break, ready to give up? There is pain now. There is trouble now and suffering now. Uh, There are things that this world cannot fix now. There are people just limping along, trying to make the best of a bad situation now. And yet we believe in a Jesus who comes to make all things new. A gospel of, of a new creation and a future restoration of all things. And the, the question uh, for us, at least one of the many questions for us, is how does that future break through in the present? How does that future restoration, that future new creation, break in right now in the moment? And one of the answers to that question is through hope. Jesus offers us hope. He tells us that whatever struggles you might face, there is more. Don't give up. Endure to the end. He will meet us in our suffering. He will be with us in the valley of the shadow of death. And when it's all over, he will appear. You know, when you become a Christian, all of your troubles, you may have noticed, do not go away. In fact, some of them sometimes even get worse. What does Christ offer us in the midst of it all? Well, one thing among others, the one thing we're going to talk about this morning is hope. And uh, what we're going to see in chapter 3 is that, that with the resurrection of Jesus, a new creation has broken into the present age. With that comes the hope of all things being made new at Jesus' return. So as we look at Acts chapter 3, we're going to talk about hope. We're going to talk about this hope that Jesus has brought. And we're going to talk about, uh, you can see in your bulletin on the back page, if you want to follow along, we're going to talk about why, why that hope is absent, uh, where to find it, who can have it, what it clings to, and how to pass it on. So first, why it's absent. Why is this hope so often absent? Well, uh, Jesus was rejected by men, and he had risen from the dead as Lord and King. He ascended to the right hand of the Father to sit on the throne of God. Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 was like Christ's inaugural party, so to speak, when he poured out the celebratory gift of the Holy Spirit upon his people. The church is now the temple of God, the, the first fruits of the new creation, the anointed prophetic people called to show and tell 
of this Jesus to a perishing world. We turn the page to Acts chapter 3, and we find the church just being the church. Uh, Peter and John are going to the temple to pray. Uh, Maybe you know the song, maybe not, but uh, they are going to the temple to pray, and they met a lame man on the way. And uh, I want you to think about this lame man. Uh, Verse 2 says that he was lame from birth. His whole life uh, had uh, been, he had spent broken. Not just uh, ordinary broken even. You know, most of us can hide our brokenness fairly well. Uh, We learn from a young age uh, to keep our brokenness secret, to hide it from other people. But this man's brokenness was out front and obvious for everyone to see. Uh, He can't walk. He can't even stand. He was being carried when we first see him. He's not only broken, but he's helpless. Uh, He couldn't even beg for alms without the help of others bringing him to the temple each day. And it was each day, right? They laid him daily at the gate of the temple. Day after day, it never changed. It never got better. It was always the same. Day after day, this broken, helpless man was laid at the gate of the temple to beg. He was utterly reliant upon the generosity of others, completely dependent. Broken, dependent, helpless, hopeless. Now, not many of us find ourselves in quite the same situation, right? We're we're not lame. Uh, We can walk and run and jump. But something in life troubles us. We often feel helpless. We feel like things aren't going to change from day to day. They're not going to get better. Maybe we reach out for help like the lame man. Of course, oftentimes we're too proud for that, and so we wallow in our troubles. Again, broken and helpless and changeless and hopeless. The reason we can make this leap from the lame man to us is because we all live in this broken world. Uh, We share these common experiences, right? The lame man might have experienced uh, certain aspects of the fallen creation more acutely than us, but it's a shared experience after all. We all know what it's like, like to be broken in this world. And Christian or no, many people live in the midst of this broken world with no hope at all. When life begins to beat us down, we do not lift our heads with confidence in the future, but we we bend and we break, we fall into depression and despair. Broken and helpless and hopeless. At least this lame man uh, continued to go out and do something about his situation day after day. He did what he could do. Uh, Because of the generosity of his friends, uh, he made his way to the temple each day to beg for alms. Some of us have far more going for us, but much less confidence. There are mornings when I wake up and I just do not want to get out of bed. I wake up depressed and just think, no, I I just like to stay here. Thank you. It's warm. It's cozy. It's comfortable. It's not like that out there. I don't want to do even what I can do. I want to just wallow in self-pity. Hopelessness has set in. 
When you look around at the world, does it give you an abundance of hope? This world has fallen. It's broken. Lame from birth, this man was. There was nothing he had done. Uh, he, he wasn't being punished by God. Uh, he, he hadn't gotten drunk and wrecked his car and ended up in a wheelchair, right? There was no way to tie this to him. It just was. Lame from birth. This world is broken. But where's the hope in that? <laughs> to beg alms from day to day. Is that hope? Hope is absent because we look around at the world, we look at the world under the sun, as the writer of Ecclesiastes calls it, and we're honest. It doesn't look good. Poverty, prejudice, political wars, culture wars, race wars, is there any end in sight? Any realistic resolution? Any viable solution on the table? Well, this brings us to our next point, which is where to find it, where to find hope. Uh, it, it happened to be the lame man's lucky day in God's sovereign providence. Uh, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he held out his palm and asked for alms. And Peter and John look at him and they get his attention. And then uh, we read this in verses 6 through 8. Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping, he stood up and began to walk and entered the temple with him, walking and leaping and praising God. Now the people see this guy and they recognize him, right? He was lame from birth. Day by day, he had sat at the temple asking for alms, and now he's walking and leaping and praising God right there in the temple. And th this was no trick, right? This was, this was uh, no fake miracle. This was someone they knew, someone they had passed by every day. Many had given him alms in the past. Many more had likely turned their heads but now the people are filled with wonder and amazement and awe, and a crowd begins to form. And Peter's first words to this crowd are found in verse 12. Verse 12, uh, Peter says, uh, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this, or why do you stare at us, as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? How would Peter start here? Men of Israel, why do you wonder? Why do you stare? As though by our own power or piety we have made him walk. Peter must have been picking up on something in the crowds. Something that is our natural tendency. Maybe especially in our day, maybe not, maybe in every age. When something good happens, our first reaction is to figure out how it happened, humanly speaking. And of course, in our day, we, we want to replicate it, write a book about it, and make millions. But uh, the, the point is, we, we want to know how it happened, humanly speaking. We want to know the, the mechanics of it. The crowd stares because they're trying to figure out how Peter did it. They're amazed, as if he had done something by his power 
and his piety. In that day, if you performed a miracle, the assumption was uh, that you were a particularly holy person. So, so Peter must uh, have been able to perform miracles because Peter, they figured, was a holy man. We want to find an explanation in this life. Peter's power, that's what it was. Peter's piety. These are the explanations, however far-fetched. But nevertheless, explanations within the created world. There's something in Peter, something different about him. And this is where we often put our hope, right? My strength, my goodness. But of course, it's a false hope. Uh, Your power will always disappoint. Your piety will inevitably fail you at some point. The power of others will falter. One day you will see the the, the tarnish on the halo of your heroes, Whenever we put our hope in people, whether ourselves or others, it inevitably disappoints. So Peter says, why? Why do you stare as if by our power and our piety we have made this man well? And the scriptures repeatedly warn us against such things, don't they? Uh, You you probably know some of the verses, right? Psalm 118 uh, says, it's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. Psalm 33, the war horse is a false hope for salvation, and by its great might, it cannot rescue. Such hope is not only false in Scripture, but it's even deadly. Uh, Jeremiah 17 says, thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. To put our trust in man, to put our hope in the power and piety of men is not only false, but deadly. Why is it deadly? Uh, Scripture warns us in Psalm 146, Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man, in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Or Isaiah 31, Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses, who trust in chariots because they are many, and in horsemen because they are very strong. But do not look to the Holy One of Israel or consult the Lord. The Egyptians are man and not God, and their horses are flesh and not spirit. When the Lord stretches out His hand, the helper will stumble, and he who is helped will fall, and they will all perish together. Behold, you are trusting in Egypt, that broken reed of a staff, which will pierce the hand of any man who leans on it. Such is Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to all who trust in him. See, to trust in the power and piety of men means your hope will perish with them. And worse, the staff on which you lean will break and pierce your hand. That is, Isaiah is saying, you will be worse off for trusting in what should not be trusted. Hoping in the wrong thing is is somehow worse than no hope at all because it gives you a false sense of security, which can only lead to your downfall. In what power or piety of men do you trust? As you face uh, the troubles of life in a fallen world, where do you put your hope? Do you trust in doctors to give health to your body? Or your bank account to bring security in times of trouble? 
Do you trust in your church attendance and prayers and other forms of piety to secure God's favor? Do you think God has your back because you're a good person after all, and, and, or, you, or you've always gone to church? Clearly, God will look out for you. You know, doctors can be wrong, and money cannot buy security, and all of our piety in and of itself earns us nothing before the court of heaven. Men of Israel, why do you wonder? Why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? Our hope cannot be in such things. So where do we find hope? You know, what's amazing to me in Peter's uh, speech at this point is where he, where he goes next. Peter doesn't uh, lecture on miracles. He doesn't explain the gifts of healing or something like that. Peter immediately moves from the miracle to the gospel. You delivered over, he says. You denied, you killed God's servant Jesus, the holy and righteous one, the author of life. But God glorified his servant and raised him from the dead. To this, we are witnesses. See, all the basic elements of the the apostolic gospel are there, right? Jesus was rejected by men and raised by God and witnessed to by the apostles. If nothing else, this miracle is about Jesus. Verse 16, Peter says, And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. This is what we saw even back in the miracle itself, back in verse 6, when Peter addresses the man. He says, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Peter called the lame man to faith in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And by that name, the man was raised. Peter wasn't casting a magic spell, right? He was, he was calling this man to faith. Faith in the risen Jesus. And it's the risen Jesus who made this man well. And the gospel teaches, right, that Jesus not only died for our sins on the cross, but he rose from the dead, thus inaugurating, beginning a new creation. Jesus' resurrection is the first fruits of this new creation, the beginning, the starting point of the renewal of all things. And Jesus' resurrection paves the way for our resurrection, according to Scripture. He rose, we will rise through our union with Him. It's similar to what happens in families. If, if, uh, if you have a number of kids, right, you, you know the first kid, the first child, the eldest, uh, has it a lot harder Right? But their experience kind of paves the way for their siblings. Um, if you're the first child, you know how that is. You're probably bitter about it. I'm sorry. Uh, younger siblings always have it easier. It just seems to be the way it is. They never have to wait as long to do things. Right? You, as the older sibling, have paved the way. Uh, the co- they then just coast through life because of your experiences. Um, And yet, it's kind of like that, but it's really nothing like that, right? Because Jesus, by his death and resurrection, purchased our resurrection. His death and resurrection guarantees our future resurrection as those who belong to him. And what this means is that Jesus alone, Jesus who has defeated death, he alone can make us well. 
Whatever this world might offer, whatever power and piety of men, Jesus alone has power over death. In the midst of of the oppressive struggles of life, we must not put our hope in the flesh, in the things of this life, in the things of this world. We must not put our hope in technology or in our bank accounts or in science and learning or in our own moral goodness, right? Jesus alone has power over death. Psalm 130, verses 7 to 8, we read earlier, O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. And of course, that is what Jesus did. He redeemed us from all our iniquities, all our sin, that we might be made whole by the love of our Father. There is abundant reason in this world not to hope, This world is full of trouble and decay and death. All human solutions will fail in the face of such things. But Jesus has conquered sin and death through the cross and through the resurrection, which means we can have hope in his victory. He has gone before us to do what we could never do, to defeat death on our behalf. Which leads us to then this next question, who can have this hope? Who can have this hope? Uh, When something bad happens to someone, what's our first response? Our our first response tends to be something like, uh, cheer up. It will get better. Everything's going to turn out all right. Don't worry about it. It's not as bad as it looks. And it almost doesn't matter who it is. We just assume that everyone should be hopeful. I don't think Scripture makes this assumption, at least not the way that we do. Um, Verses 17 to 19 say this, uh, Peter continuing to speak to the crowds. He says, And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out. Uh, There there is a kind of hope that everyone can have. Uh, If you see your sin, if you own it and confess it, if you turn to Jesus who died for you, your sins will be blotted out and you will be saved from the coming judgment. But, But there's an if here, right? If you see your sin, if you own it, if you confess it in biblical language, if you repent and turn to Jesus... Of course, verse 19 doesn't doesn't put it in an if-then statement, uh, but as a command, right? Repent and turn back. And then the result, so that your sins may be blotted out. At the end of the sermon, Peter, again, he talks about the Old Testament promises, the Old Testament promise of a prophet like Moses. The people were told to to listen to that prophet, and uh, they're warned in verse 23, it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. See, Jesus has come as the the prophet like Moses. He's come as the one to whom all the prophets pointed. He's come as the offspring of Abraham, come to bless the families of the earth. And how does he come to bless? By turning us from our wickedness, Peter says. By granting repentance so that our sins might be blotted out by his blood. So the only ones who can truly have this hope in Jesus are those who have entered into that hope through repentance and faith. Right? This is important because uh, many religious people even are still trusting their own power and piety, as Peter talked about. This is true for many Christians who grew up in the church and many non-Christians who think they're pretty good people after all. 
If you have lived much of your life in the church, you might think or even begin to think, well, I'm a pretty good person, right? I, I always do what God tells me to do. I don't cuss. I don't cheat. I don't uh, drink to excess. I belong to a good church. I read my Bible. I'm generally a good Christian after all. And all those things are fine, right? The problem is that the religious elite, even of Jesus' day, could make such a boast. Uh, one once said in a parable of Jesus, I thank you, God, that I'm not like other men. I don't do all these bad things. I do all these good things. But what he lacked was humility before God, a sense of his brokenness and his sin. So it was the, the really bad person of Jesus' parable who beat his breast and said, Have mercy on me, O God, the sinner. And he's the one, Jesus says, who goes home declared right in God's sight. See, our only hope is not to accept that we're pretty good uh, because we have always gone to church or pretty good because we haven't done any really bad stuff. Our only hope is to fall on the mercy of Jesus, to confess our utter sinfulness and to turn to him that our sins might be blotted out. This is how we enter into hope. This world may be full of decay leading to despair, but Jesus is doing something new. He's renewing all things, beginning with his own resurrection from the dead. We become a part of his work when we turn from our sin and turn to Jesus, putting our faith not in our own strength or goodness, but in the power of his name. So there, there are abundant reasons not to hope in this life, right? The world's full of trouble. All human solutions ultimately fail and falter. But Jesus has conquered sin and death in the cross and in the resurrection, which means we can have hope in his victory. And all who confess their sin and turn to Jesus, putting their hope in the power of his name, can have a true, genuine hope, hope in the resurrection. That leads us then, though, to this next question. What does this hope cling to? What does hope cling to? Now, I, I know I just said, in part, we cling to Jesus, right? Uh, but that's not what I mean here. When we come to a passage like this, oftentimes we get hung up on the wrong question. Uh, we start wondering, well, uh, should we see miracles like this today? Or, uh, more personally, when will I be healed of my physical ailment? Right? When will my troubles go away? Of course, it's clear from the rest of the New Testament, if you, if you read it, uh, that not everyone's physical troubles simply go away by faith. And so uh, Paul, multiple times, talked to, uh, talks about fellow workers who fell ill, one of whom he had to leave behind because he was so sick. Why didn't he just you know, heal him as, he, as Peter did this lame man? Well, it just doesn't work like that in the rest of the New Testament. Um, Paul encourages Timothy at one point to take some wine for his stomach. He doesn't say simply, well, just, just claim the name of Jesus and your stomach will be healed. He doesn't say that. Paul himself had some ongoing thorn in his flesh. Three times he asked the Lord to take it away, but God did not take it away. God left that trouble for Paul. Peter's healing of the lame man here then should not be seen as sort of the new norm of the Christian life. It's not a pattern set down for us as to how to handle physical sicknesses. Rather, the healing of the lame man is a sign. It's a foretaste. It's an, it's an appetizer of the future resurrection. You know, this lame man probably got old. Maybe his legs became weak once more. He eventually died, and his leg muscles right, atrophied, his bones eventually became brittle and turned to dust. 
He, he did not, at this point, experience the fullness of the resurrection life that Jesus had purchased. He experienced a foretaste of things to come. His healing was not an entrance, entrance into the fullness of the promises of Jesus, but a picture, right? a walking and leaping parable of what Jesus will do for all of us at his return. Notice how Peter talks about this in verses 19 to 21. He says, Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. See, see, what are we waiting for? We're waiting for these times of refreshing. Peter says. Now that phrase actually it may refer to sort of the immediate work of the Spirit in our midst, sort of the Spirit's work in our hearts, refreshing us with God's grace. But, Peter goes on to say, there is also the return of Jesus, the time of the restoring of all things. There will come a day when Jesus will return and put all things back together, when all things will be made new. When the weak will be made strong, the old will be made young again, the sick will be made well. The broken will be made whole. The lame will leap for joy. The sad will be made happy. The mourners will dance. And we will all sing of God's goodness and grace and mercy. See, we often put our hope in the wrong place. We expect God to fix everything right now. But God has not promised that. I mean, even the lame man who danced died again. God has not promised to fix all your problems now. He has promised to be with you in your trouble and to make all things new on the last day. Put your hope in God's promise, right? That is our hope. In that hope, we rejoice that death does not have the last word, that God is at work in the midst of this mess, that all things will be made new in the end. So we trust and we wait and we hope in the promises of God. There are lots of reasons not to hope. This world is full of trouble. All human solutions will fail, but Jesus has conquered sin and death, which means we can have hope if we confess our sin and turn to Jesus. And this hope looks not to this life, but rests in the promises of God in the Scriptures, some of which are for this life, right? God promises us some things for this life, but the climax of all that is in the life to come, when God will make all things new on the last day. Which leads us to the final point, which is how to pass this hope on. Uh, Hope is uh, indeed in short supply, as Brian even mentioned when he was uh, before his prayer earlier. Uh, Many of us are more likely to experience despair and depression than hope. And uh, as we grow in looking to Jesus and resting in his promises, we grow in hope. Uh, but how do we pass it on, right? We, we, we can't quite do what Peter did. We're not apostles. Uh, we, we, we don't have the promise from God that we can exhibit these signs of the apostles and mighty wonders and works as they did. But we can still learn from Peter. Uh, Peter's interaction with this layman is a, is, a, is a mini case study, right, in how to give hope, right? If you've ever spent time in a big city, uh, you know how it is. Panhandlers tend to be overlooked and ignored. Uh, I don't mean that, that some of them don't make good money, but simply that right, rarely uh, are they treated like human beings. But notice how Peter treats this man in verse 4. 
We're told that Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. Directs his gaze at him. He looks at him. He engages him, right, saying, look at us, look at me. And then he takes him by the hand in verse 7 and raises him up. Peter looks him in the eye like a human being, right? He treats him with dignity and respect. And then Peter gives this man what only Peter can give, a gift which uh, acts as a foretaste of the resurrection. Uh, We can't command the the lame to be healed, uh, but we can look people in the eye. We can draw near them in compassion and love. We can give them our hand as Peter did and be for them a mini foretaste of the resurrection to come. And here's the question, right? How can I manifest for this person, in part, what the resurrection will be like in all of its fullness? You know, maybe you can give him a a taste of God's love. Maybe you can provide companionship to one who is lonely. Uh, Maybe, if you're a doctor, you can bring healing to the sick, in Jesus' name, in the hope of a greater healing to come. Knowing that the best that you can do in this life is sort of shore up the body for a little while. All of us can give the gift of our own presence with people in their suffering to represent in a tangible way the presence of Jesus with them. As Jesus promises in so many places. Uh, but the Psalm, Psalm 23, that great psalm, which talks about, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. Right? Christ's presence with us in trouble gives us hope. And when we are present with people in trouble, right, we represent him as his people, and we give them hope as well. Whatever the case, right, we give hope by representing Jesus, by being a foretaste of things to come for the people around us, a mini picture, a mini taste of all that God is doing. So there there are abundant reasons, as we said, not to hope the world is full of trouble, decay, death, all human solutions will ultimately fail in the face of such things, But Jesus has conquered sin and death in the cross and in the resurrection, which means we can have hope in his victory. All who confess their sin and turn to Jesus, putting their hope in his name, can have this true hope. This hope looks not to this life, but rests in the promises of God, who will make all things new on the last day. And now go. Go and be a foretaste for people. Go look them in the eye and show them dignity and love. Be present with them as Jesus is with you in the deep valleys. As we hope in the high mountain of the new creation and the restoration of all things. Let's pray. Our Father, we pray that you would open our hearts and minds to understand what you have done in your Son, in the cross and in the resurrection we would understand the defeat of death, that we would understand the advent of the new creation, and in that we would hope, that that would give us joy, that that would give us reason to rejoice, even in the midst of our troubles, as we look to our Savior Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.